Before we start today's episode, there's something important for agencies seeking a reliable way to attract new business, especially during busy periods. I want to introduce you to Leaflow Sprint. It's an eight-week program that simplifies your marketing and consistently attracts the attention of potential clients without requiring a massive marketing budget or external sales teams. With my 17 years of experience in aiding agencies to gain visibility in new clients, this program offers a practical and effective approach to lead generation. Forget about unpredictable leads and embrace a method that works across different agency sizes. And if you're keen to learn more, you need to visit caffeine.club slash LFS. That's K-A-F-F-E-N dot C-L-U-B forward slash L for Lima, F for Foxtrot, S for Sierra. Now let's get into today's episode. Hi, Sandra, and welcome to the Caffeine Espresso podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks so much for having me, Charlotte. I'm really excited to talk to you. So Sandra Booker uh, is the founder, correct, of Any Old Task. Yeah. And um, I came across Sandra because she works uh, very closely with somebody I really admire who's um, scaled her own business um, extraordinarily and is also very smart and very entertaining lady, uh, Laura Belgray, also known as The Talking Shrimp, um, who is a copywriter by trade. Um, and she credits Sandra with helping her uh, grow her one-person business from six figures to seven figures, um, which is all the testimonial I think you need on any website <laughs> in order in order to uh, give someone a call. So I'm um, overjoyed that Sandra's been able to join us here today and and give us a bit of advice really about how you go how you go about scaling and um, specifically through the lens of delegating tasks, taking tasks off your plate and hiring the right person to cover off those tasks. Um, so without further ado, Sandra, I, I, I'd, I'd love to ask you from a very, very selfish perspective, um, <laughs> because I am traditionally a terrible delegator, um, as my assistant will um, and previous <laughs> bosses will, will uh, testify to, uh, and to some extent my husband as well. Um, so I, I guess my really selfish first question is how... Would you recommend overcoming that brain fog? And I guess I'm speaking through my own personal lens here, that that keeps you from delegating, that kind of sense of not knowing which task to take off your plate first. Yeah, so first, you're definitely not alone. I'm also not the best at delegating either. I'm definitely somebody who's like, well, I know that I can just get it done faster. I'm just going to do it. Um, so it takes practice for one, um, to actually do it. Um, it is a habit. It is a muscle that you have to build. Um, but first you have to start with figuring out what it is that, um, you're going to delegate. And the issue with delegating is that the thing that stops people is different for a lot of people. Some people they're, um, they're, uh, afraid that, you know, the person's not going to be able to do it as well as they feel they themselves do it, or it could be that you just don't know what to delegate, or there's all sorts of different reasons people come up with as to why they can't delegate. So the first thing is to figure out what it is you need to delegate. Um, and for many people, that's going to be almost everything, <laughs> almost everything in your business at some point should probably be delegated. Like your job should become more and more niche down as as you grow if you if you're growing a team. 
Um, and the first thing I start with is if you're really lost as to like what you should delegate first, the first thing I start with is a time study. So um, it's something that everybody hates doing, but everybody that does it says, oh my gosh, that really, that really opened my eyes as to what I need to get off my plate. So a time study is just, you know, for uh, every 15 minutes for two weeks, just write down what you did. Um, and doing it from the day, from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to bed, because as a business owner, likely you're not sticking to any specific schedule. Um, and then at the end of those two weeks, you're just going through and um, kind of grouping like tasks. So you're going to be like, oh, this is all administrative work that I shouldn't be doing anymore. This is, you know, all sales work. Maybe I can hire a salesperson. And at the end of the two weeks, once you have it all grouped, you're going to see like where the biggest, um, the biggest amount is. So like, um, you don't get too granular. Like you're not going to um, get really, really granular, granular about it. You really just want to have three or four kind of groupings that makes sense. So this is all sales related stuff. That's one bucket. This is all administrative stuff. That's one bucket. This is all like creating content, um, you know, design or copy or whatever that can be one bucket, or you can split design and copy into two buckets. Um, and usually from there, you'll see, okay, I have my, all of my time is going to admin work. So that's going to be the first thing I hire for, or all of my time is going through to sales. So that's what I should hire for. Okay, understood. And uh, I'm just thinking, as as you were talking then, I was thinking it's great to group it into three or four areas. But as you were talking, I was thinking, if you're making a note more specifically of the activities that you're doing within those three to four areas, basically have a list of the standard operating procedures that you need to write, right? I, I'm jumping ahead of myself a bit here. Yeah, just- for sure. You have not only that, but like, because... During the two weeks, you're writing down what you're actually doing. And then in the end, you're just grouping it together. Once you've grouped it together, right there, you have a job description, like all of the responsibilities that you're hoping somebody is going to take over and a listing of all the SOPs that need to be created um, around that in order for somebody to be successful in the role. Excellent. And and then I think the next thing that a lot of... Um, my clients previously, and I know I've had has- some hesitation around, uh, is basically a block in terms of delegation, not being able to um, trust somebody who's not at the same experience level to take over those tasks. Um, and historically, you know, the industry that I work within, for the most part, is design, and that tends to be quite a in person kind of industry so big agency offices um lots of face-to-face meetings of course that's changed over the last two years and and this industry is um evolving rapidly and probably uncomfortably um and some of the smaller businesses have an advantage there because they've always worked remotely but what would you say to people who say it's not possible for me to delegate because uh, I'd, I'd need that person with me in order to train them. I, you know, geography would be a challenge. Um, I couldn't delegate these things to people who aren't working in the same room as me. So I would say that um, if it's, if you're going to be continuing to do in-person stuff, then um, honestly, if you can have that person with you, that that would be great. That would be fantastic training for them. 
Um, so if there's a reason that they can't be there, like to me, to me, if the role is going to require in-person and you're not going to be pivoting, then go ahead and have them with you. But if you're going to be pivoting to um, remote, um, which most people are doing in various in various ways, then all you need to do is keep track of what you're doing. You know what you're you're doing when you're there. So you just have to record what you're doing. And I don't necessarily mean like wear a, wear a wire or anything like that, but like just you just need to record how those conversations typically go. Um, and usually what I would recommend is try like if you're going to be pivoting, then try doing the pivot because then you get you get the experience of what that's like doing it remotely and it's a lot easier to create the you know the process around it but regardless of how you do it it's just about documenting the process so if you know that like when i walk in i'm going to be meeting with the stakeholder and the, this is what i cover during that conversation and these are the things i stay away from during that conversation because it's going to come in a proposal later on down the road or whatnot whatever that conversation looks like just you're just going to document that so that the person that you hire has that information. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're, if you're not pivoting, um, there's no reason to not have them with you in person. It's just being able to pivot is probably a, a really good, <laughs> a good thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the last two years has taught us that that might be an important yeah. thing to, yeah. to bear in mind. Um, so another catch 22 that I see a lot of my clients experience when they're trying to delegate is whether to, um, get somebody who's uh, less experienced and therefore cheaper and train them up themselves or whether to get somebody um, more experienced and therefore more expensive and and have them take over that task. Um, I know to some extent uh, we talked about the uh, the time study and creating standard operating procedures around how you already do things but do you think this is a good opportunity when you're thinking about delegating to to find somebody who has more experience possibly is more expensive and uh has a more efficient way of doing that task or is that the role of the person you might hire or is it the role of somebody who might over have an overview of the management of those people you're delegating to if that wasn't too convoluted do you yeah so the, the thing that I see most often when people are trying to hire is, first of all, there's there's risks either way. Anytime you hire somebody, there's going to be risks. Um, whether if, even if you hire somebody who on paper has all the experience in the world, it, they just might not be a great fit and it'll, it'll still not work. So um, to me, experience is one of the last things I worry about. Okay, interesting. I, I only worry about experience in the fact of, how quickly do I need them to be onboarded and how much of my time or the manager's time who's going to be onboarding them, how much time do they have to do it? So um, if I need somebody onboarded quickly or I need somebody or, or the manager's not going to have time to really spend as much time as they as needed doing the training, like the training needs to happen a lot quicker, then that's when I'm looking for somebody that's more experienced if I have the time um, to do the training myself, then that's when less experience, I, I'll probably go for that. What I focus on more um, is just having a really good 
uh, hiring process that I take my time with. Um, what I see most often is people wait until the last minute to hire and then they are just like trying to just find somebody to fit the bill and they meet with like, oh, so-and-so said that person is good. I'm going to hire that person. And they kind of rush the hiring process um, or they, you know, hire their best friend's cousin or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, I see that happen all the time. And um, even when somebody does have a decent hiring process um, where they're, um, where they're taking a little bit of time and actually doing like an interview process there, they don't, there's one step further that you can take it where you're having somebody complete a few personality tests um, and not personality tests, but skills-based testing to see that they can actually do the job. The, when people do the interview process, what I do find is that in the end, they'll go, well, I jived with that person. I connected with that person. I feel like I can go and have a beer with that person. So that's the person I'm going to hire. When in so many cases, that is not the person you need to hire, especially if you're looking for an administration person, a highly detailed, highly organized person. Um, they not not that this is a rule or anything, but many of those people are more introverted. They're more reserved with their their words. They're more uh, they take a little bit of time to warm up to people, so they don't have that you know initial charm. Whereas like a salesperson might have that initial charm. They're just going to wow you and sweep you off your feet because their whole thing is selling, selling themselves, selling the product. So if you're looking for an administrative person and you're just and you're major, you're basing your decision majorly off of the fact that you connected with them, uh, rethink that um, that decision. I always like doing like I have a I have a really structured um, process and that it also includes I have them do the disc profile and I have them do the Colby A. Um, oh, I've not heard of either of those two. I did a different kind of test recently. I can't remember which one it was. Clifton. Clifton? Yeah, oh, yeah. Clifton, I think. Is, yeah, there's there's so many of them. I like the disc because the disc, um, I, I find it fairly like a, a fairly good um like accurate representation of it's the one where I have taken it numerous times and I come out the same every single time. And most yeah. of them, I don't. So um, it will tell you. Uh, so like, if you're looking for, you know, an administrative person who is going to take the reins, but they're not going to, you know, just step all over you, then you're looking for somebody that's probably high SC and mid D. So if you're doing the disc, that'll make a little bit of sense. But if you want somebody that's just going to take the reins, make decisions and like push you forward, you're going to look for somebody that's a little bit more, that's a little higher D because that's a the dominance and everything. Okay. Um, the disc profile, I find very, very useful to um, really weed out, especially the, those people who I've connected with and I can see myself having a, you know, a meal with. Um, but then I'm like, okay, but are, do they even have the, the attention to detail that I need? Do they have the, um, you know, the, 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 all of the, the things that I need an administrative assistant to have yeah, uh, business manager to have or whatnot. Uh, and then the Cole BA is just going to tell you, um, you know, if they're left alone to do whatever they need to do how are they going to work? Like what's, what, what will they do? Are they somebody that's going to do a lot of research and then implement, or are they like a quick start person? They're just going to implement. Um, 
And there's no right or wrong there, but you do want somebody that's going to compliment you. So if you're a real, you know, creative quick start person, um, you probably want somebody, um, especially if they're going to be your right hand, you would want somebody that's going to be a little bit more of a slow start so that you have some time to think about the decisions and um, rather than just rush into them um, and vice versa. So just finding somebody that's going to compliment, like, you know, shore up your weak sides. Um, I'm seeing the possibilities for this in terms of choosing a life partner as, well, as you're speaking. <laughs> um, okay, very interesting. So can you talk me through a little bit about how you might work? You know, what and I should have just asked this at the beginning, um, but how how you work at any old task, what kind of um, variety of tasks you take on? If you're working with somebody for the first time, where would you begin? So we've evolved a little bit and we're not currently taking on like virtual assistant work um, anymore, but, um, or at least not at this, the present time, but the, the clients that we've worked with um, as a virtual assistant capacity, we tend to take on more of their like scheduling, their calendar management, um, you know, loading emails, loading blogs, uh, some research bits, and also documenting all processes and procedures. Um, so we take on all of that. When when we come in, um, usually the, the client doesn't really have any SOPs at all. Um, so we'll either just have a call with them so that they can kind of go over how things are done, or we'll just say, next time you do it, record yourself doing it, and then send us the recording, and then we'll document the SOP from there. Um, but those are the types of things we do with uh, virtual assistant um, work, and it varies depending on the clients. Um, so sometimes a client has a podcast, we might help them, you know, uh, upload the, like, get the prop podcast finalized and, you know, uh, syndicated and all of that. Sometimes they're doing YouTube channels, we might help them with that. Um it's really dependent on what the client needs, but typically it's calendar management um, and doing all of the loading and file organization and handling contracts and proposals and all of that stuff. Um, and then what uh, I do in the business as a business manager is I I come into the business and I actually will take on um the, the role of like, if they have a team, I kind of manage the team. I make sure that the team has all the training that they need. They have like, you know, that there's basically, I, if there is no HR department, I'm acting as a pseudo HR department, making sure vacations and sick days and all that. Um, managing the finances, just kind of being that sober second thought for the business owner who's, you know, sometimes they've just had free reign of spending and they just spend all over the place. So I'm like, well, here are our goals. How's that spending going to <laughs> going to reach our goals? Um, and then also just making sure that all the projects are, um, you know, moving forward. So I usually install a, a specific meeting cadence that is uh, is all about the planning. So we figure out, we do our annual planning, and then we break it down into quarterly and monthly and weekly planning sessions, so that we're always moving forward, assessing the business. And then moving forward with projects that are going to address our weak, our weak spots. So, so this to me is absolutely fascinating because is, is this this is an online business manager role, yeah. right? So, I, something is a term I've come across um, when I've kind of interacted with businesses which tend to be single person figurehead working with a range of virtual assistants and 
but in the within the industry that I tend to operate in where there might be multiple people wearing those hats but yet not linking uh, the hats that you've spoken about there so like HR through to account management to some extent through to um interacting with the CEO or the leader so kind of personal assistant role but there's nobody unless the, the CEO is taking on that role, which often day to day, they're, they're too swamped down in what's going on to, to link all of those things back to strategy, like the overarching strategy of the business. And that's what's fascinating to me about what you're saying, because I see a lot of businesses, agencies kind of get lost in the day to day and not thinking about the bigger picture and where they're going to. Um, and so can you speak to that a little bit more? Is that how you start? Do, what, typically, is the strategy of a company formed when you come into the business or do you help to form that? I, I typically help to form it. Most businesses that I come across and that I work with um, who have team, they have teams of usually less than three. Oh, most of them are probably just um, solopreneurs working on their own. Um, and But none of them have really, they've just been stuck in the day-to-day just you know, trying to make ends meet, trying to build revenue, trying to find more clients, um, and all without strategy. They, you know, they might have had a, a business coach who has told them how to do a launch or how to do whatever, but nobody's ever sat down and figured out what is what is their mission. Like they might have created a mission when they thought about their business, you know, ten years ago, um, and it's sitting in a drawer getting dusty somewhere, and they've never looked at it. Um, but your mission really is the the guiding principle behind your business. So usually that's something that we rehash when I come on, we'll go through, um, we'll go through what their missions should be um, based on what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish with their clients. And it really is a client centric. So a customer centric um, mission because your clients drive your business, your people drive your business. So it's all um, really focused around that. So you'll know where you're going and how you're going to know when you're there. Like what, And then I work to integrate that into their business. So when I talk about that meeting cadence where we're doing the planning and everything, we review the mission statement regularly on those meetings. So um, the first thing we do on our weekly meetings is read the mission statement just so that we can realign and remember that this is what we're trying to accomplish so that when we're making decisions, we're making sure that they're aligned with the, with the mission of the business. Um, and then definitely having this strategy piece of it, like most businesses, small businesses, um, don't do any business assessment at all. They're just, you know, they're, they, they think they're having a problem with leads or they feel like their conversion could be better or, you know, whatever, but they don't actually sit down and assess, you know, score it out and then address the issue. They're just, um, most of them kind of fly by the seat of their pants based on a lot of feelings, a lot of gut, which gut is, can be confusing. (laughs) Um, A lot of people I know listen to their gut when they're, it wasn't their gut speaking, it was just their fear speaking. Um, So it's more, it's just about getting together more data points to base your decisions off of um, and know where you're trying to go so that uh, you can, you can actually make some data informed decisions. Um, Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it because I, I just, 
I think um, data is so underused in the creative world. You know, people do use their instinct and gut, and it's something I do a lot as well. But typically, when you do take stock and use data, you know, one of the areas that I'm thinking of is when the most compelling case studies and award entries that um, I help clients write are those that are based on the data, sales data of how successful one of their projects was, as opposed to how beautiful a project was. You know, they're all yeah. about the aesthetic, so it's easy to focus on that rather than on the data. But equally, you know, from um, from my experience when I was working in agency um, with one particular agency, we got an external new business consultant provider in. And the first thing that they did was, uh, which surprised me, was get like the last 10 years of history from the accounts department to see what was billed uh, per industry. Um, And it was really interesting because we thought we needed to focus on getting a certain kind of client because that was actually where we made the majority of our profit. But actually, it was completely different. Um, And even though one was one client was the the one we built the most actually profitability wise it was nowhere near the top and and just it's so again so easy to get stuck in the day-to-day and thinking well yeah massive invoices are going out but again not looking at the overheads and understanding well actually we need to follow a, a, a different path in terms of the clients we need to acquire if we want to continue to be uh, maximizing profitability so I think it's really underused and I think there's a massive opportunity for creative businesses the smart ones to incorporate more data and I love that that's the beginning of your process and that everything hangs off that yeah and it's 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 so enlightening like the what I see happen in businesses because um like I said most businesses are just working off their gut and that's not to say that your gut never plays a part it's just that it should never be your primary you know your primary decision maker all the time um yeah and I, what I often see is people have, you know, I I've have clients who will say, oh, yeah, my gut says this. And I'll say, OK, and then I'll go and dig some data up and I'll say, all right, so that's fine. That sounds like an interesting project we can work on. However, here's what I'm seeing data wise. Um, let me know your thoughts on this. I won't tell them that they should do one thing or another. I'll, you know, be like, yep, we can definitely think about doing that project. Um, also, this is what I'm seeing. And then they come back and all of a sudden their their gut is saying something different. And yeah. and it's because like a lot of the people do get confused by their gut because your fear and excitement can often be confused, um, like with a gut instinct. Uh, and I recently just had a conversation with a client who um, they're really excited by a new topic that they really want to talk about. And so they came to me and said, uh, I think that we should create a workshop based on this topic, because I think it's like really like I think all of our our, our uh, audience really is interested in talking about this right now. And I said, OK, but every time we have a Q&A, this is the topic they're asking about. So what do you think about that? <laughs> because, um, you know, you have to listen to the people. You can't get distracted by the new shiny thing that you're in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and so we, we, it's all about compromise. So we're going to work, work on answering this thing that they're actually asking about. Um, and then we'll start talking about the shiny thing. That- oh, well, <laughs> Look, there's a couple of things in my head there. My family call me the magpie because I have such shiny object syndrome. Um, But also one of the things that I think is so undervalued when it comes to, and I think this is completely industry agnostic. I don't think it matters whether 
it's a design agency, another creative business marketing agency or what, is your clients are always telling you what they want to hear from you. Like in the questions they ask during the pitch process or an interview process, during the questions that come up at the end of a meeting, if they're an existing client, you know, the comments that come up at the end of a blog post, the responses you get when you send out a certain email, um, it's just, you know, if you interview a client for a podcast, the kind of things that come up in the conversation, it's like they're giving you all the cues. They're giving you all the themes that they want to hear from you. And if you play those things back to them, they're going to think that you're a great listener and you're completely on the same way. And they're not even going to be aware that you're listening. They're just going to think, oh my goodness, you can read my mind. They'll forget exactly. that you've <laughs> and, and so when clients say to me, content strategy I don't even know where to start what would what am I going to talk to people about should it be about what's in the news currently I'm like no make a list every the back of your moleskin your notebook whatever you're working with Evernote make a list of all just scribble down all the questions that come up the themes that come up and then revisit them every time you need to make content or you need to draw people in with something because they're already telling you so completely with you on that in, yeah. in terms Sandra in terms of the um online business manager world um, as you're talking through that, to me, that sounds very industry agnostic. It doesn't sound like that's for a specific area. I know you tend to work with um, solopreneurs and uh, maybe they're within a specific space. Um, but do you feel like this is for all businesses or for is there a specific kind of client who you think would benefit best from this? I think the the role can be. Um can be adapted into most businesses. It does really, it does really work. The thing to keep in mind all the time is that everything evolves. So mm-hmm. if you're in business, you should be in business to grow and scale the business. Like that should be your goal. You have, especially if you're incorporated, um, you typically have a fiscal responsibility to actually increase revenue and profit more more specifically um and actually grow the business and have it have it be sustainable um and as you grow the business it you're going to naturally need to uh, like slowly expand your team you don't have to like grow your team to a thousand people if you don't want but um if you want to make sure that you can scale your business sustainably um you're going to need to every role will start eventually like niching down. So like right now, the role that I have as a business manager, my goal is to grow, help my clients grow their business to a point where they need somebody else. So that, you know, mm-hmm. we need an actual, um, usually it's going to be like the project manager coming in first so that all the project management stuff will get taken off my plate. They will focus on project management. I'll still do team team and financial and all the other things that I do. And then as they grow more and more, then maybe it's going to be, oh, you actually need an HR person now. So like that gets taken off. So that is the whole, that is the whole purpose of um, training up your team and investing in your team is and growing your business. And you're going to start um, slowly niching down. So right now, this business manager role that takes on like wears all these hats, it does work really well for small teams. Um, if you have somebody in a larger team, like 10 or more, you really should probably be thinking about having at least an HR person um, or 
depending on how many what your projects things like having a projects person because it will get with that many team members it's going to start getting difficult for the business manager to maintain the the level of excellence that is needed in all those roles so um usually you'll you'll start splitting it the one thing to be careful about is with online business managers is in the whole virtual assistant industry so people think of virtual assistant as a as a job um and it really is more of an industry and within the virtual assistant industry you find you know VAs who are like general administration VAs people who are social media managers but they call themselves VAs people who manage launches people who are business managers like me the business most business managers in the in the VA industry um aren't doing the business management stuff pieces that I'm I'm doing most of them are people who they are there isn't anybody really to push you and to help you form the idea of where you're going. And I see a lot of businesses with huge potential who aren't growing at the rate that they could be in terms of profitability um, because they literally don't know what they're aiming for. I know it's you know it's an old uh, adage that I will not be able to get right now, but that kind of sense of if you don't know where I actually I think it was the Cheshire Cat in. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, who said, um, if you don't know where you're going, any road is fine. That's a really <laughs> bad repetition. <laughs> what the Cheshire Cat said. But, you know, that kind of concept of if you don't have a specific destination, you can choose any pathway and it'll be right. Um, yeah. And and I think that's the bit that will speak most to to this audience and probably help them breathe a sigh of relief and, and not... Uh, uh, a clench in their stomach this kind of sense of how you know I don't know where I'm going who do I talk to about that and how then do I plan around it so I think that's the most fascinating bit um and I I I don't want to take up too much of your time um before I ask because I know you've got a freebie for the audience so before I ask more about that is there anything else you want to add into the conversation that we may have missed out along the way yeah I think that um the, just going back to the idea of hiring, the, the other thing that I, I see people do both when they're hiring, trying to hire a subcontractor and trying to hire an employee is they they look for a unicorn. Um, everybody's always yes. trying to find, <laughs> find the unicorn, the person that can do it all um, and more. And I, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're looking for a unicorn. You should always be hunting for the horse. And if you find a unicorn, great. But... Um, <laughs> get the horse a good sturdy horse will do you well you're you're fine <laughs> and, and actually that brings me back to one of um one of the questions I did note down but didn't speak to you about I guess most people are scared of being like the stable master um in the sense of how to hire without becoming a full-time manager you know how to keep doing what your own job and I know at the beginning of our conversation you said you know it's really about um you know after doing that time study you're looking to then hand off a lot of that stuff and really niche down on specifically what you're doing um so is there is there anything else you want to add about how to how to focus on what doing what you love and what is your most valuable contribution to the business as opposed to becoming a manager as you scale your team yeah so one thing is you're you're going to do that time study that's not just a one and done kind of thing so anytime something big, big changes in your business you should do it should be doing it at least once a year um, if no, if you haven't seen any big changes. Um, but yeah, because like once you hire somebody, like people think, oh, I'm going to 
I, some people think I'm not everybody, but some people do think I'm going to hire somebody. And if they're working 40 hours a week, that means I now have 40 hours of free time to, and that's never the case. If you hire somebody for 40 hours a week, you're maybe you're going to get 25 hours back. Um, still substantial amount, but it, you're not going to be freed up as much because now you do have those management pieces in there. So um, what you would then do is like, once you have one or two employees, um, you know, or you have uh, a ton of projects, like a, a lot more projects, that's when you might want to hire uh, of somebody into that management role. So like either a project manager to manage the projects for you so that you're not doing that bit or some sort of business manager or an HR person, uh, depending on what's happening in your business. So mm-hmm. the, the big key is like, you're going to hear, um, you know, on podcasts and at networking events and, you know, in uh, articles that you should hire this person or you should hire that person. And really you need to hire the right person for the right role for your business. So you have to figure that piece out. Don't listen to just, if you hear somebody say you have to get a VA or you have to hire a salesperson or anything, take it with a grain of salt and really do that time study and see if that's what you need. And if you have people on your team, have them do the time study too, because you might do a time study for yourself and see, oh, well, I have like, I don't know, X number of hours for for sales or whatever. But then there's three other people on your team that are also taking on some of that sales work because it's been kind of spread around in order to uh, accommodate all everything that needs to be done. So then you can take that work from all three of you or all four of you and create a role from that. So mm-hmm. don't, you are not a silo in your business. As you build your team, you need to be looking at your whole team anytime you're thinking about um, hiring a, a new person. What's going to impact the team and the business as a whole? And as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, actually, I think my clients will be very good at this time study business because they spend so much time doing timesheets for um, the financial requirements um, in order to oh. invoice client, their own clients correctly. So um, they're used to kind of, jotting down by the hour or by the half day what they've spent the time on so yeah 15 minutes is a step up I'm going to challenge myself to do this as soon as I'm back into the business full-time um so on that note um can you tell us a bit about the freebie that you've got for us and I'll make sure we link to that in the show notes so the freebie I have is um the VA task list so it's uh five tasks crushing your business and you know 50 others you can outsource to a VA immediately um, and it's a nice little starting point, even if you're not going to hire, um, even if you're not going to hire a subcontracted virtual assistant, you might hire an employee who's a virtual assistant. This gives you a nice little list of, to answer that question of like, what can somebody do remotely? So if you're wondering what somebody can do remotely, that's your answer. Okay. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, Sandra, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in contact and want to follow more and, and hear what you're all about? Thanks, Charlotte. Yeah, you can find me at anyoldtask.ca and get on my mailing list. I send out lots of great emails, as Charlotte can attest to. Very um, helpful. Very yeah. helpful. <laughs> um, you can also find me on Instagram at anyoldtask. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sandra, for joining us. Thanks, Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. Just before we wrap up, I want to touch on a crucial opportunity for your agency's growth. As a creative agency, your primary focus should be on delivering exceptional work. 
not getting bogged down in sales and marketing. And that's where the lead flow sprint comes in. It's an eight-week program designed to streamline your lead generation process, bringing in a steady flow of potential clients to you. No more struggling with the ups and downs of trying to gain the attention of new business. Our program includes hands-on support, including direct input on your copywriting, ensuring a bespoke approach to your lead generation needs. No more feeling stuck in the feast or famine cycle. Our real-time support, including direct feedback on tasks like copywriting, helps you to bid farewell to inconsistently and embrace a lead generation system that's tailored to your unique needs. Visit caffeine.club slash LFS. That's K-A-F-F-E-N dot C-L-U-B forward slash L for Lima, F for Foxtrot, S for Sierra.